0: Welcome to Siren Sundays. This show is focused on speaking with researchers, scientists, and practitioners of environmental sciences and all things conservation in the Bahamas. Because if you didn't know, the Bahamas is so much more than just beaches. Tuning in to our conservation conversation. What's flashing? Welcome to season seven, episode two of Siren Sundays with me, your host, Lashanti the Siren. And today, our guest is none other than Alana Velicott. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi, Shanti. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Not a problem. I almost thought we lost you there (laughs) right before. (laughs) Sorry. I was like, let me close all the apps that make noise. Whoops. (laughs) And then I closed Google Chrome. That is okay. And yes, we do have our first comment coming in siren time. So for a lot of people, they know that this is actually our first live episode of the season. And I am just so excited to have you on. I feel like I've been trying to get you on for seasons and you're so busy and you've been doing so many amazing things that I'm super excited to talk to you about today. But before we jump into all the things that you have done, can you talk to us a bit about how you got to get where you are? I feel like I said that so Bahamian. how you get where you've been right? (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) I can definitely tell you all the steps. But at the end of the day, I have to say it's all felt divine or kind of meant to be in one way or another. Um, I think I was born this way. Ultimately, there is nature versus nurture. And I definitely think there are equal parts of both. Um, I was born to Um, a really fun nature loving dad. He um, is actually English. So I'm biracial if you didn't know. And um, he emigrated to the Bahamas in like the 70s, because he loved being outside. And I think he just wanted to change an environment. I kind of would too, if it's always raining all the time. But (laughs) anyway, um, he actually answered an ad to become a teacher in the Bahamas back when the Bahamas wasn't independent. And he got the job and they posted him in Cat Island. So he was the science teacher, he was the biology teacher, the math teacher. Um, He wore many different hats at a school. He was also a DJ, but that's another story. However, I grew up in the heart of a mangrove creek system. Where I'm seated right now, I can literally see mangroves at the edge of the the property. It is a dredged canal, this part of the community. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, it's all pristine mangroves. It's called the Hawksbill Creek. It's expansive. It stretches across the northern part of Grand Bahama. Well, northwestern part of Grand Bahama. And I would be gone all day with my neighbors who were subsistence fishermen. Uh, I guess as soon as I was able to go outside kind of on my own. I discovered I had neighbors who were the same age as I was and who were also just as crazy and feral. And so we'd be gone all day playing in the mangroves, um, fishing, having kind of pretend scenarios or pretend games, kind of like how children play on a playground, except my playground was the ocean. It was mangroves. It was a tin boat that we found at the dump and then dragged home and then tried to teach ourselves to fiberglass that we then patched sold seafood, bought an engine. And like I said, just kind of gone all day. And so I had that experience or that playground experience in the ocean. And then I would bring my stories back to my mom and dad. And then my dad being a biology teacher would explain to me the science behind my silly adventures. Like, Oh, I found, I found this shark and it was so cool. Or or I saw a a group of snapper. And he's like, that's called schooling. It would kind of tell me different things about what I was experiencing. And there was just kind of no hope for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's, and you know, and I did allude um, in my advertisement and even in my live a bit earlier about how I stumbled across Alana. And I think it's just such, I love that you use the word divine because I would almost say me meeting you is divine because I was in 12th grade. We randomly took this, well, not randomly. It was our senior High school field trip, or whatever trip we were supposed to be taking, and we were supposed to go to the States. Whatever reason happened, we ended up going to Eleuthera. And while we were there, we had mm-hmm. a lot of downtime, and our teachers were like, Oh, we're gonna find some of you guys to do. You guys are just seen, you know, obviously, we were, it was nothing to do, right? We're in South Eleuthera. Yeah. So they found the island school. <laughs> And none of us had heard about the Island School. I never heard about the Island School. And when we got there, this bubbly, curly hair, bright-skinned girl pops out. It's like, hi, I'm Alana, and gave us the most amazing tour. And and I don't know if she was aware, but nobody else in my grade, the entire grade was interested. I was the only person hanging on to her every word. And by the end of it, I was like, I have to do this with my life. Like this is exactly what I want to do. Like I know I love the ocean, but I also wanted to be a veterinarian. And I was like, no, this is what I want to do. I want to save the world. I want to save the ocean. Um and I just like from then I was like, how do I be like you? I was like, you can apply to go to the island school. You know, you can study marine biology. And and from then, like, it had just been like, wow, I met this is the first time that I ever saw a marine biologist who was no offense to anyone. right? was in a, a blonde white guy. Right. And I was just like, I can do this. And so probably very at the very beginning of my career, I would say Alana was right there just being that inspiration. And, and she continues to inspire me every day with everything that she's done. I feel like I'm like one of your biggest fan girls, but, you know. We're not going <laughs> to take it that far. But but can you talk to us about like when you were at the Island School? Did you do that before you went off? Or was that a gap year that you did? First of all, that is so sweet. I
1: think I was completely unaware. I, I do remember us talking about when we first met, because not going to lie, I'm pretty poor at recalling me meeting people for the first time, like boyfriends included, like super bad at it. But it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> like it's just. So sweet and so heartwarming. And I just had no idea that I was that person for you. So thank you so much. (laughs) And I guess you're welcome at the same time. But it also kind of shows anyone listening how important representation is, that it's so hard to pursue something difficult, like choosing your life career when there's no one nearby or around displaying what that could look like for you. Mm-hmm. when I was, I guess when I first got started at the Island School, um, which came first, I did the Island School first, and, and then I went off to school. Okay. Um, and I did the Island School semester program. And then I did my internship through the BEST scholarship, Bahamas Environmental Steward Scholars, through BRIEF, Bahamas Reef Environmental Education Foundation. <laughs> and um, they they love yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know why science loves acronyms, but I guess you kind of need it um but yeah it's just really important to have someone to look up to when I I think after probably after island school I went I continued to work at brief kind of off and on while I was in school Mm -hmm. and I was thinking okay who do I want to be do I want to be Eric do I want to be Uh, who was the then executive director for the Bahamas National Trust? Do I want to be Cajurita McKinney-Lambert, who is the executive director of Brief? Do I want to be Eleanor Phillips, Eleanor Garraway Phillips? You know, I I had these people to look up to, but at the same time, I didn't quite feel like that was my jam. Like, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be an executive director or if I wanted to run my own nonprofit, because... That takes chops and that takes commitment and a lot of hard work. And I'm sure you know, even just trying to get Siren Sundays up and running and staying committed to Siren Sundays, it is not easy. So though I had those amazing people to look up to and a few people of color to look up to, especially black people, there weren't anyone who really looked like me who wanted to do exactly what it is I wanted to do which was partially ocean day all day and then at the same time science and really making a difference in in conservation and education outreach and kind of blending adventure and science and being really good at talking communication at the same time
0: i'm glad you said those words because i i feel like you might have the longest title that i've put ever for a show just because i could not summarize you and even in these three you know taglines I could not figure out what exactly to put you as because marine ecologist science communicator as well as an ocean advocate so can you tell us just about those three like so what is a marine ecologist science communicator and then we're going to dive into being an ocean advocate.
1: Sure. A marine ecologist is a person who studies the marine environment, but from the ecology level. So in ecology, ecology works on how do all of these communities, sorry, how do all of these communities kind of work together and create this well-oiled machine of an ecosystem that you're witnessing? So how do the fish community work with the coral community, work with the benthic community? How do they all work together to create this amazing prolific biodiverse ecosystem giving us so many ecosystem services and i love puzzles um, especially when it comes to video games i prefer puzzle video games so any sort of puzzle i kind of love unraveling to figure out okay how to how to what all of the what are all of the pieces i need to create this um solution or what are all of the pieces coming to create this challenge that i can then pick apart and and solve and i just love everything in an ecosystem and how they all work together.
0: Nice. And so what is a science communicator? <laughs> I feel mean, like now we are getting very educational. Uh, no no worries. That's a fine, nice term. <laughs> um, science
1: communication is not something that is new. I think the term and maybe the field and also, especially the field of study yeah. is very new, but we've had science communicators back from Jacques Cousteau, who was, okay. I think one of the first main, marine biologists, shark communicators, sorry, shark communicators, (laughs) ocean communicators um, in the world. Mm -hmm. And he was able to ask questions, answer them, but then more importantly, take those stories or take what he's learned or take the results of his research and communicate that in a way that everyone could understand. He was able to bridge Science, exploration, and adventure with good storytelling and education and outreach. Because let's face it, you can't have conservation without proper education and outreach. How are you supposed to show a people how beautiful something is if they don't see it for themselves, first of all? And if they don't relate to it in some way or another, it's all too often that science is... Just kind of wrapped up in these packages that is unavailable to a lot of people that are behind paywalls and that are also in jargon that, you know, Joe on the street would not understand. And so it's very, very important that we have those people in the middle, like you, absolutely. (laughs) And like myself and like so many others, where we stand in the middle and we are that bridge between science and, well, scientists and your everyday citizens so that we can have understanding, love, appreciation, and ultimately conservation and protection.
0: Yeah, I definitely say um, we bridge the gap. And I remember Jewel um, Benneby, who actually was my last guest, she defined um, a mermaid at an interview many months or years ago, where, you know, mermaids are, she defines them as people who are that that bridging the gap between humans and the ocean. And I was like, oh, see, this is exactly why we're all mermaids, right? Like, this is, this is what we do. Um, but curious from you define marine ecologists and you define a science communicator. So what would you say for you is your primary area or ecosystem of focus? Well,
1: I guess I'll have to say my, what takes up most of my time and what I do enjoy a whole lot, 110% is working at Coral Vita. So I work at Coral Vita, the world's first land-based commercial coral farm for the restoration of reefs. And we are a mission-based company where we are on a mission to restore the world's dying coral reefs by growing corals up to 50 times faster, while also working on bolstering their resilience against Mm -hmm. the effects that climate change is having on our oceans. And so that is my nine to five. It takes up most of my time, most of my energy, most of my energy, (laughs) but it's a lovely place to work. um, Mm -hmm. And I really enjoy my schedule and kind of what, uh, a week in the life or even a day in the life of working at Coral Vita is at it's quite varied because um, coined by uh, one of my, one of our co-founders Gator he calls me a utility player i can kind <laughs> of be plugged into almost any aspect of the farm and you know be dangerous enough to hold down the fort until you know the the lead comes in and can take over or you know i can kind of move around the farm and you can think of my job as it being divided into thirds. So one third is I do a lot of the field ops. I am a scuba diver, a certified scuba diver. Um, I'm also an instructor, but I've been scuba diving for 14 years. No, 16 years. And um, so I'm sometimes a little bit better underwater as opposed to topside. Um, But so I'm definitely on field ops. I manage. Our tree nurseries that we have, if you don't know what a tree nursery is in coral propagation, you can kind of in growing corals, you can have them in situ in the situation. So in the ocean, kind of without tanks and pumps and PVC uh, plumbing and stuff, or you can have them ex situ, out of the situation, out of the ocean and have a more land based approach. Coral Vita is a land-based coral farm, but we also do have ocean nurseries where we have coral trees, these structures that look like PVC Christmas trees, corals, yeah. hang from them <laughs> like ornaments, and they're just living their best life off of the reef, away from competition, and just loving all of that flow and nutrients coming across their living tissue. So I manage all of the corals in our tree nurseries. Um, I also keep track of all of the corals that we have already outplanted and in other places <laughs> that we keep in the ocean. So I keep data on that. I help out with a lot of dive operations. Then the other third is that I'm assistant to the assistant lead for our life support system at Coral Vito. So anything needed to keep corals alive,
0: I help out with. I thought so- human life support just now, it's like, yeah, wow, what, a, what an important role. <laughs> corals, My poor corals. Very assistant very important support. as well. But as soon as you said life support, I was like, wow.
1: Sorry, oh. for the corals. <laughs> Um, But I'm the uh, LSS tech, life support system tech for corals. So plumbing, uh, sensors, flow, water quality. I help out with all of that. And then lastly, education and outreach. I love, love talking about the ocean. I can talk about it all day. I liken it to when you found a really good show on Netflix mm-hmm. and you just want everybody to try Like, oh my God, did you watch Game of Thrones? I get that. Um, I waited really, 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 really late to watch Game of Thrones. But it's like, oh my God, have you watched Game of Thrones? You really should try it. Okay, get past episode three. And it's it's so good. I feel that way about the ocean. Like, have you ever been in the ocean? Have you ever tried snorkeling? Have you mm-hmm. put your toe in it? Oh, you're scared. Get past okay. seagrass. <laughs> yeah, like every ecosystem to do with the ocean. I want to share kind of my love for the ocean or for those ecosystems. And when someone gets it and their face lights up and it's like, Oh, I never knew that. That's really, I feel that in my heart and I find that to be so fulfilling and also so much fun.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly how you know you are doing what you're meant to be doing, right? Like when you just continue to have that passion for it. Um, I know I see a few questions coming in. I'll put one up now where it's specific mm-hmm. about Coral Vita. Are they curing the coral COVID, which I feel like we were trying to all run away from calling it coral COVID because then people started getting so confused. But yeah, yeah do, it's stony, Tor- stony coral tissue loss disease. Um, is Coral Vita working with any of that restoration, rehabilitation or curing of it?
1: Well, we are in close communication and definitely collaborate with the organizations that are actively working on it, like the Bahamas National Trust, Perry Institute for Marine Science, Coral Innovation Hub. There, are, um, there was a task force that was formed and we are working with that task force. And when we're called upon, we will absolutely be there and kind of ready to jump when we do have the opportunity to do so. But being completely candid, I'm pretty sure the permitting process is holding up a lot of work that really needs to be done, especially studying, working on the treatments and applying that treatment. So when it's our turn, we're definitely ready, but we're (laughs) collaborating with the bigger organizations or the other, sorry, organizations that are actively working on that.
0: Yeah. And I think even what you said earlier, the work that you guys are doing with um, the coral farming, you know these corals are meant to be more resilient to climate change, but possibly they'll end up being more resilient to things like this disease and I think it might also be important to note if I am correct last I knew there was not quite a cure yet but just a treatment right. so and and that's that's a whole other kill of fish that we don't need to dive into um right now. <laughs> but that's a part, really good fun. oh. I didn't even realize I did that. I'm just so funny. <laughs> wow. Look at me. <laughs> My wife, I would be so proud. He's very big on dad jokes. <laughs> uh, definitely. But we have to definitely tackle that last one. And I think that encompasses so much of who you are and, and what you do, especially what we see on social media. What is an ocean advocate and what is the typical day or week like for somebody who is an ocean advocate like yourself?
1: Well, an ocean advocate is someone who advocates for the conservation, protection, or even just enthusiasm for the ocean. Personally, I work to make sure that there are policies put in place to continue to protect and to educate about our marine natural resources. And that includes working with people like you, It includes working with other people who we all know and love who actually actively work on policy. So I work with them or they'll reach out to me and say, hey, there's this policy that we're putting out or there's a chance that this regulation might be rolled back. You know, could you talk a little bit more about why sea turtle protection is so important? Or why shark protection is so important on your socials? And I'll say, yeah, no problem. Or they say, hey, we just put out this new regulation. We're really excited about it. Or, hey, could you remind your viewers that grouper season is now closed? And remind them of the dates. Or we've been seeing you know, poaching happening. Or we just made this really cool infographic about fishing regulations that everyone should be aware of. Would you mind sharing it on your socials? So I do a lot of that. I talk about it as well on my stories, in my posts, and anywhere where I can fit it in. I'm always talking about the ocean, and whenever I talk about the ocean, I talk about protecting the ocean. Yeah. Or just like random fun facts that maybe nobody would know otherwise.
0: Which brings me to my next question. Um, throughout <laughs> your career, what would you say are some common like misconceptions that people have about the ocean or marine life?
1: Um, I guess the one that I get most often now that I'm currently working with corals and I've been working with corals a bit longer than all of the other amazing species that I've been working with is that corals are rocks a lot of people still think corals are non-living and even apple messed up and put the coral emoji next to a rock and a shell non-living things it needs to be over with the whale and the octopus and I don't think there's a jellyfish uh, emoji but they put it in the wrong spot and I was like, "You're you're not helping here, Apple. You need to move the coral emoji and put it there. I think there's even like a sponge in in the emoji,
0: but they have it in the wrong section in the emoji. We gotta do a petition. I didn't even connect that until you said that just now. Yeah, go look 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 in your let's let's go look in your yeah, phone. Right, where's my iPhone? <laughs> <laughs> not that we're Apple promoting iPhone. Apple here, but that if is you such you look in your an your iPhone and point. open
1: the emojis. It's in the wrong spot
0: scroll scroll scroll
1: scroll scroll and then we see like all the really cute ocean animals there's some fish a seal we even get like a kitty cat before we get to corals and it's in between a shell and a rock and it's like that's not where that goes i can't Mm -hmm. even find it oh it
0: is it is between a shell and a rock and it's like no that's not where
1: that goes and there's like a little sponge and there's even some seagrass i want to
0: show people this
1: Look at that. Yeah, that's it is. wrong. Oh my <laughs> that's not supposed to go there. They're living animals. I think they should be over with the whale and the dolphin
0: and the shark and the fishies and stuff. They should. I think <laughs> educate Tim Cook. <laughs> <laughs> is yeah, that going to be our hashtag? <laughs> right. And, and they are confused, but I think misinformed might be the better, better term. Um, but yeah, so of all the things you do, I think one of the things that was I mean, you do have so many cool things, but I did want to just touch on briefly, like you were a part of this enslaved documentary, which tied, you know, some, some history with this ocean, uh, passion that you have. So do you want to share a bit about your experiences with that? Sure. Um, I
1: did not actively seek out to be, I, I think they, I think when you Google me, it's Alana lot <laughs> TV personality. I did not set out to be that at all. It just kind of found me. But for all of the right reasons. And I came to be on Enslaved simply through networking and being enthusiastic and passionate about what I love, which is the ocean and which is diving. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of it was not my choice. I'm a diver of color. You know, I popped out this color. Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> so it was partially networking and just loving what I do no matter what. I came onto Enslaved. Through Christina Zanotto. If you don't know her, you definitely Love should get to know her. Love her. Um, she is an amazing shark enthusiast, shark educator, just kind of shark everything. She is the mama of sharks. In the
0: caves, yeah, she's amazing. I had her and, on, I think, last season, yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. She's the mother of sharks, the mother of cave, <laughs> the mother of adventure, exploring, diving. And she's also quite motherly towards me. She is my my biggest mentor and definitely a second mom. And through knowing her, and she is way more connected. She's like, uh, like, <laughs> hiking famous. And she was on an interview similar to this one, but the title was called Real Life, Laura Cross with Kinga Phillips, who is a TV adventure host and journalist. She was on that interview and they had an amazing time. And Kinga reached out to her saying, hey, we're working on this documentary. She didn't really quite say what the documentary was or who was starring in the documentary. She's like, we're looking for enthusiastic divers of color. (laughs) And Christina said, oh, yeah, sure. I know a couple of black divers, like laughing to herself, (laughs) laughing to me, you know, um, personally laughing to me and uh, she sent a few names forward to Kinga. There were interviews. And the next thing I knew, I was speaking with the director of Enslaved, Simka Jakubowicz, and we're talking about logistics. And I'm confused. And he's like, oh yeah, by the way, you got the part. So we're just trying to figure out how we're gonna make this work. I'm like, oh, amazing, thank you. And he says, oh yeah, by the way, Samuel Jackson is is starring. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> so I guess to bring it bring it all back home, Enslaved is a six part documentary featuring Samuel Jackson that focuses on telling untold and kind of submerged, if you will, stories about the transatlantic slave trade. But through looking through the lens of diving the shipwrecks left behind, exposing much larger numbers than the world knows and also reminding the world that it's not slavery was not exclusive to the Americas slavery was a worldwide phenomena the pope even blessed slavery and so just kind of taking the blinders off the horse to what slavery actually was for the planet and some of the more harrowing stories that came with it which was really tough to do
0: yeah yeah, so I definitely encourage everyone to check that out. Um, it's it's really a really good documentary, <laughs> and I think everyone should experience that for themselves. Um, but yeah, so are there any sort of other projects like that that you found yourself just kind of divinely stumbling into? Um, so many you <laughs> <laughs> can talk about. because yeah, sometimes absolutely. you know you're on a hush hush, and you recently, no, 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 no. I have South Africa. Wait, wait a uh, pardon me. I remember you posted that you were in South Africa, correct? Yes. So um, through Andre Musgrove, which I hope, have you had an interview with Andre yet? I reached out. He was not <laughs> interested. <And laughs> I hate to put him on blast like that. I do admire him, but he said this is just not his thing. So no, if where I'll just dive. go dive in with him and be like, he, can I record you saying something?
1: <laughs> behind the camera. He is yeah. not a in front of the camera. Maybe he wouldn't mind, like if you have a blog, you know,
0: like a written mm. thingy or, a really or something idea. like that. Maybe Um, I'll have you come on again and then you just get him to where you are and then (laughs) throw him on the camera. Exactly. It'll be a trip where
1: um, I'm staying by him or maybe we're staying in the same place and I'll just like, and here's my friend, Andre Musgrove. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Give him a snack and then tell him he can go. (laughs) Um, But yeah, through Andre just being Mm -hmm. amazing. He... yeah. Is an amazing underwater photographer. Really young, but just uber talented. He yeah. reached out to me because we were kind of on the periphery of each other's circles. When I worked at Brief, I was working with his aunt, um, another mentor of mine, Marcia Musgrove, and who you know is we had a- Yes, who is now the director of the Nature Conservancy for the, the Northern blonde?
0: Caribbean. Yeah, Soft. the Northern
1: Caribbean. Yeah. Solid. Oh wow. I didn't know all of that. I just thought it was exclusive to the Bahamas. Way to go, Auntie Musgrove. But I was working with her. And we would do snorkel trips with our students that we brought, you know, introducing them to the beach and the marine environment, beginner snorkeling lessons. They had snorkel vests and masks. And then of course, after the beach, they'd be covered in sand. And Andre conveniently had a pool that we can just throw them all in, kind of get the worst of it off and then sanitize them afterwards. And so I only knew Andre because we would take all of our stuff and throw them in his pool. Um, (laughs) That was before Andre, I think, picked up a camera. I met Andre again, maybe a year later when he had just picked up a camera and was working at Stewart Cove's as a dive instructor and was working in photo video. And then didn't really speak to him much at all. I would just kind of banter back and forth online. Then we met again, him reaching out to me saying, hey, I'm sponsored by GoPro and they are looking for me to do a video, a day in the life video. And I would love for you to be a part of it, because it's just so rare, and and it is, to find Black women in the ocean space. Yeah, And that there is a wide open space, a niche where we can all pour our love and passion into to show other women of color or to show just other people of color that, hey, we are here and the ocean is for us too. And so he had me on that video. We had a great time. Um, I did a little bit of underwater modeling for him, which is something else that I I do, but still fun. And GoPro was like, wow, who is this girl? We wanted to be on our team too. And then I became sponsored by GoPro. So I'm sponsored by GoPro. I'm also sponsored by Fourth Element, an amazing dive wear company that has now started to get into actually hard gear. So before it was wetsuits, um, booties, kind of dive wearables. And now they they have masks and fins. But what's really special about Fourth Element is that they are actively working on and have a whole line of stuff that is eco-conscious and sustainably made. And so I have an EcoPrene wetsuit. My fins are made out of recycled rubber. And when they send you packages, none of it is plastic. Like zero oh percent of their packaging is plastic. It's made out of either the plastic that dissolves in water or it's made out of cassava and you can literally bury it and wow. you don't need like heat and pressure to decompose it. It just <laughs> decomposes all on its own. Um, and they're an amazing company, super supportive. And then funny enough, their headquarters is in Cornwall, which is where my dad is from. <laughs> That's awesome. And, <laughs> and I, I remember. Oh, cool. um, Patty Dive Ambassador. Mm-hmm. Well, Patty ambassador diver. I'm the first Bohemian Patty. <laughs> Hi, Charlene. <laughs> Patty, ambassador diver and like a couple of other things.
0: Oh yeah. I did see on your profile. I remember when you did that reintroduction and I will call you out. <laughs> you definitely also were featured on, I remember that cream of nature commercial where it was just, I was like, look, curly hair girls are winning, you know, like that was so amazing. And you yeah, were I also featured was- on girls at scuba, you know, girls at free dive, seeker. It's, you just, you're everywhere. thank you yes i just
1: honestly it's all about saying yes to opportunities being there being present networking if there's a conference raising your hand and saying your name first hi my name is alana bellicott love your talk here's my question and then afterwards going up to the person and say hey it's me alana bellicott i actually that question. Could you tell me some more about it? Or can we exchange contacts? I have more questions for you. Even if you can't really think about something maybe outstanding or something astute to say, when you meet someone who you really want to connect with, that wanting to connect will shine through and you won't be so shy or, or so nervous. And you'll have a natural conversation and those people will remember you. And they will contact you later to say, hey, we have this thing. Do you want to be a part of it? Or I'd love to pick your brain on something. Um, cold calls is something else too. Um, uh, <laughs> I think Gen Z and some millennials are allergic to cold calls, <laughs> but
0: you got to embrace it. Embrace the cold calls. I think it's, it's just perfect. calls in general. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Instant messaging is our thing, right. And shooting an email, a quick email.
1: Um, uh, no, okay, I, I do think I know. Uh-uh. I'm so bad <laughs> at emails. I am so bad at emails. I'd much rather just pick up the phone and call
0: you. And sometimes that gives just just more of a personal connection. I think um, that's what's missing, you know, sometimes our generation just because things just come so fast and so easy um, versus actually needing to put effort into doing something like dialing a number or even remembering a number to dial it to then call um, and speak with someone. So um, I think what you said is so great because it also reminds me that that, I think it's a very popular, maybe even just famous quote of, you know, if you're always prepared or the Bahamian version, if you stay ready, you'll never have to get ready. Right. And I think. Um, especially people who are looking to be kind of in the same area that you are, where it's this mix of marine ecology and science communications. It's it's all about kind of just making sure you have a nice little personal brand and making sure you have a proper email. Like make sure your email is not the one that you had when you were in instant messaging days and Uh making sure that you have like a proper CV always ready. Like, I found very early in my career, that it was the same thing. Like you always want to say yes, but you always want to have these things ready. Like keep your CV updated. You want to make sure you always have really nice headshots and all you need is a nice iPhone with some good lighting. And you always want to make sure that you have just a short bio of yourself. I found that that typically are the basics of what you need to have. And then from there, it's like this whole other thing, um, whole other things that you can get into about building a personal brand. But mm-hmm. I do see a question um, in the audience that I think is this is a perfect time to ask it from Sydney Burrows. Hey what Sydney. Would be, <laughs> what would be some tips you would give to people starting out in the field of the marine environment? Recent graduates, with a bachelor of marine science, also hi. So <laughs> what tips? <laughs> hey, Sydney. Hmm, tips. I would definitely say that
1: don't pigeonhole yourself into something that you're not even sure about. When you're starting out and you're working on your bachelor's degree, which is something you absolutely need if you want to be a part of the science aspect of marine biology. Um, You don't have to outright study marine biology or bust. It doesn't have to be that. My bachelor's degree, I started out at the then College of the Bahamas in biochem. And it's not what I wanted. (laughs) Right. It wasn't what I wanted, but I knew that there were a lot of core courses that are also in marine biology. So it's not the end of the world if you don't get into a school that has marine biology. Do biology, do biology with chemistry, do ecology. You can even do um, any other science-based bachelor's degree because then it's your master's where it kind of starts to count where you have to specify a bit. And so if you don't have a bachelor's in marine biology but you have a science-based bachelor's degree, you're good because you have those core concepts and kind of those core lines of thinking that you need for your master's degree <laughs> in marine science. But at the same time, you also don't necessarily need a bachelor's degree in a field of science because it's called blended fields. Yeah. These fields are can be blended in ways that you never even thought. Um, I knew someone who blended art and dance with science. They are able to explain um, concepts of science through art and photography and interpretive dance, which is really, really cool you can start off with a communications degree and then figure out, actually, I really want to be the next Bill Nye, the science guy or the next Danny Washington, big Mm -hmm. up Washington. (laughs) Mocha Mermaid. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Or the next Miranda Cosgrove, who has a really cool series called um, uh, Unstoppable. It's all Mm. about women and science. It's really cool, super cute. Um, But all is not lost. I would first start with a bachelor's degree in some sort of science-related field. And then when you're ready for your master's, then you can kind of start to specialize either in marine biology or maybe even more specific than that, coral disease. At the moment, I am definitely ready to pursue my master's degree, but I'm having a hard time picking what lab do I want to study? Like what actually do it is I want to do. I love sharks. I love sea urchins. I love corals. I love dolphins. I even love microbiology. And so at the moment, that's the hard part for me is figuring out what it is I actually want to study, but I'm thinking I'm gonna stick in corals for now. But point being, find two things you love and blend them. Mm-hmm. As I believe that, and that this is a saying, I don't remember who quoted this, but the world needs more people who have come alive and who love what they're doing as opposed to people who are just kind of doing things in between for the sake of doing them. Do something that makes you come alive, that makes you feel fulfilled, because that is what moves this planet forward in a good direction.
0: I love that. I love that. Um, I I will just word of advice from my experience. um, Definitely do not rush into getting a master's definitely take some time I mean I thought that I would finish my bachelor's and I take a year and just jump straight into my master's and what I thought I wanted to do my master's in actually after four years in between my degrees I was like I hey, this is actually what I want to do so don't be afraid to take that time and get real world experience that is so valuable especially in today's environment and even if you cannot do a bachelor's degree I always tell people you may never be able to uh, you may not be able to study and you may never become like doctor so and so, but you can get these technical skills and you can help scientists and you can still do research and you can still be a contributing member to the marine conservation, marine science sector or any science sector. So like get a diving certificate and do these specialty dives and and meet people like Alana who you can work alongside and learn this information and be able to still be a science communicator. You, know, you can learn the information to be able to communicate it um, as well. Um, and Charlene says it great. Take advantage of opportunities and network Your and, say, and yes. say yes. Another
1: amazing mentor of mine. Charlene <laughs> has been there from day one, like literally day one, actually prior to day one, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure she was on the committee to pick The best scholars from when I went to the island school. And I've said it once, I've said it twice, and I'll continue to say it that even though I already had this passion for the ocean that I didn't really know was there in the capacity that it was, but it just took someone believing in me and giving me a chance and boosting me up by giving me that scholarship and allowing me to go to the island school and taking that raw unbridled passion and kind of giving it a direction and then doing an internship that gave me a focus as to what to do with all of that and the rest was history so thank you so much Charlene and Brief and the Island School y'all are definitely my super humble very amazing (laughs) beginning
0: Definitely. And I think I always say, I feel like I had just missed Charlene. Like the minute I started getting into it, I think she was already gone from brief and she was not doing anything anymore. And I was like, Oh, but I didn't get a chance to, to interact with you. But obviously I have been able to meet her. Um, she's the yeah. amazing wife to Eric. And I always say this is his better half for sure. Cause she's so amazing. I always yep. enjoy speaking with her. <laughs> no offense to I, Eric. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you
1: a tip. I'll give you a tip. Take her some Oreos. I hope she lol's. I hope she comments and says lol. Take her some Oreos. (laughs) Noted.
0: I definitely will. Um, See, it worked for me. (laughs) To work, Oreos worked. (laughs) That's always how you deflect a bad mood. (laughs) Definitely. So, and speaking of that, I think. (laughs) Oh, Eric's listening. Oh, hi, Uncle Eric. She she did lol. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, so I think another thing that would be great to talk about right now is: do you do you know whether it be you or Coral Vita or opportunities that you are aware of that people can volunteer and maybe do internships or maybe even seek out mentorships right now?
1: Absolutely, I'm pretty sure the if it's if it's not just closed, it's closing soon, but still send in your application if you are a student who is watching the best scholars. Um, application is now open and you can apply to be a student at the Island School to be a part of their semester program. It's an amazing 100-day semester that kind of disconnects you from the little bubble that you live in and teaches you how you are so connected to this planet and how even though you're just one person, how big of a difference you can make. And when you find your community of other you say movers and shakers who want to change this planet for the better, you can be an unstoppable force. Um, other things, if you're kind of past that, is continue to learn, continue to listen to podcasts, listen to live streams like Siren Sundays. Um, <laughs> um, another way you can greatly contribute is to work on your addiction to single use plastics. That is definitely a biggie, especially when it comes to the ocean. And I'm not asking you to ditch your Honda Accord and go buy an electric vehicle like tomorrow. You but know, you, can, though. you, you could <laughs> shoot. Can you if you can do that? Like right now, can you also help me out? That, that would be great. Right. <laughs> but kind of analyzing a room, you can start with Um, maybe your kitchen cabinet or your fridge or your bathroom, and kind of analyze how many things are packaged in plastics. In the Bahamas, unfortunately, we cannot recycle plastics. And I at the end of this, I'll tell you kind of my little hack for that, which may or may not be a good thing. Um, But we do not recycle plastics in the Bahamas. And so the best way you can contribute is to first just not accept them in the first place. We have so fortunately put in a single-use plastic ban Um, within the last couple of years where, you know, um, restaurants and takeout spots are not allowed to give out styrofoam clamshells or um, Mm -hmm. some sort of, yeah, (laughs) non-recyclable or compostable uh, cutlery and single-use plastic bags. And so the first thing you can do is take your own bag to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. That's Super simple. They come in many, all sorts of shapes and sizes and colors and super cute patterns. You can take your own bags to the store. You can even go a step further and start putting your produce in reusable bags. I'm a particularly tangsy person. I love tangs. And so I go on Amazon looking for tangs that are also eco-friendly. And so because I love tangs, but I want to be eco-friendly, I have a lot of eco-friendly Things, things. From I found these uh, reusable kind of mesh produce bags that weigh almost nothing. And so I'm not paying kind of any extra money by taking the separate oranges, putting them in my produce bag and then weighing them. I'm maybe paying up a penny more if, if, if that. Um, so taking your own plastic bags. Then... One of my most recent things is that I assessed my kitchen cabinet and I found that I eat a lot of peanut butter. (laughs) I love peanut butter. Super easy snack. Pick up the peanut butter. Um, But the peanut butter I was buying came in a plastic jar with a plastic lid and also had palm oil in it. An ingredient that is contributing to deforestation and rainforests and then ultimately the extinction of species that we don't even know exist yet, but more namely the orangutan.
0: I was just going to say, I love orangutans.
1: (laughs) So all it took was for me to look in my kitchen cabinet, notice something that came in plastic. Then the next time I went back to the grocery store, I looked for other choices in peanut butter. And I found a peanut butter that came in a glass jar that had a metal lid that I can continue to reuse and that also did not have palm oil in it. And it was a natural peanut butter, so better for the environment and better for my body. And it was, funny enough, the same price as the peanut butter that I was buying that came in a plastic jar.
0: Yeah, that's that's important. I think I would love to see us have, um, and it, we have a farmer's market now, but I'd love to see us get more into these um, food stores where you bring your own container and you fill it up. Like, I always enjoy going to Whole Foods in the States, and it's like, you can make your peanut butter right there and put it in right? your own jar. Um And yeah, so I think it's always important to remember small steps to that big change. I think people always assume that conservationists are telling them that they need to change their whole life right now when really it's like, no, just look at your life. Like you said, examine what you have in front of you and what are the small things that you can do? Exactly. So we do have one, another viewer, <laughs> MBA Connect. Yay! Great to get to know now, Alana. Congrats both for your amazing ocean communications. Oh, thank you. So true, the blended feels idea. It's so a question. Lots of colleagues in the region are now facing the need to rescue stony corals and keep them alive. What's it like to work in coral life support? Are your corals fussy eaters? Are they hard to keep warm? Are they happy campers? Please tell us more. I love these questions. It's actually because, again, it's an animal, right? And back to what you were saying, people assume it's just this rock, right? Yeah, no. I, I even like to
1: think they have personalities, some of them, which may be an even further idea, but it's because, <laughs> you know, when you're, if you've ever had a garden and you're growing plants, you kind of spend some time with your plants and you're talking to your plants, and maybe this tomato plant is a little funkier than the other, or this tomato plant likes to grow in this direction, and the others are kind of just being regular tomato plants. Um, <laughs> but You can think of corals as that person who you can just hardly take anywhere because they're just going to complain. Um, Corals are very, very specific in the water quality that they need. Mm. And so they're kind of like that person like it's like, oh, it's so hot in here. Someone open a window, turn on the AC or like, I'm just leaving. I'm going to die. (laughs) Or like that that. One person who you know, whenever you go by their house, they're like wrapped in every single blanket that they have in the house, or maybe that's you. And whenever you're on the couch, you want the AC on, but you have to be wrapped up in blankets. Corals are very specific about the water quality that they need. And so it is a little difficult trying to create kind of the spa conditions in the raceways or the tanks that we have at Coral Vita. However, we're assisted by first of all, an amazing aquaculture lead who knows everything about corals, how to grow them as quickly and as healthily as possible. But of course, that is with our state-of-the-art pump house, where we're actually able to not only monitor water quality, like temperature, pH, and even macronutrients, we're also able to manipulate it. And the system can also tell us when the water that it's receiving or the water that's flowing through um, the pipes or the tanks when it's out of the range that we've set it to. And so, you know, there can be some times where the system is calling us endlessly because something isn't quite working or um, (laughs) something is, is out of whack. Or maybe there was a really strong tide and we're receiving too much flow into our system or, you know, the reverse, we don't have a lot of flow. In our system, um, but that's where our amazing aquaculture techs come in. Um, and then when I help out uh, with that, sometimes we do feed our corals, and um, it's something that we're currently experimenting with. They do quite well on their own without us supplementing their diet. Um, so even though corals have a microscopic algae zooxanthellae living within their tissues that's responsible for the majority of the energy that they have to survive they are funny enough predatory animals and they actually capture zooplankton and eat them and so we can supply their diet with zooplankton just to see if it would improve their health or maybe their longevity or you know their color at our farm Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes things don't just work out uh sorry sometimes things just don't work out and you do receive mortality and there is a percentage that is the industry standard of survival. But at Coral Vita, I'm pretty sure it's, it's safe to say that, no, I know that <laughs> our percentage is a lot higher than the industry standard because Way of the technology go. that's available to us. Thank you. And because of how hard we work and because of, I don't know, I think we just work really well together as a team. And we come together, we huddle and we come up with a strategy and we execute that solution.
0: What would you say out of all of the variables that it takes to keep a coral happy and healthy is the hardest one? Like, is it the temperature? Is it maybe the salinity? Is it the food? Like, what, what would you say is the most challenging variable to deal with?
1: Um, so at the moment, our system, we receive water from the ocean, mm-hmm. then that water gets filtered both um chemically and mechanically and then it goes to the corals but then we reuse that water because we can heat that water we can cool that water but then we reuse it we do lose some water to evaporation um but i guess i don't think it's any of those things it's making sure that our pumps are constantly working that our sensors are constantly working that when there is a power failure, you know, how do we bounce back from that power failure? Which happens really often when we're <laughs> living on an island, not so much as NASA. Y'all are hey. a special breed of islands. <laughs> oh, we are, yeah. But it does happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so it's being able to bounce back from power failures. So honestly, it's making sure all of the machinery is, is working. Because wow. if that's not working, then you can have dips in salinity. Um, the water may not be um, cooled properly or even heated properly. So it's making sure all of the electronics are doing what they're supposed to be doing.
0: I feel like a nanny, but like super, super nanny to make sure that these (laughs) are are optimal conditions. Uh, And I know Charlene does have a question. Uh, What's the source of the zooplankton that you'll use? Um, It's a standard uh, dried
1: zooplankton that you can buy from uh, online, like a bulk reef supply is a brand that we buy from.
0: I will give a disclaimer. I don't know. This just popped into my head. So I hope that no one was actually thinking this, but unlike some of the other episodes that we have that are related to farming, please do not go out there and try to start your own coral farm. Please don't. Illegal. <laughs> you need that so. <laughs> that too. I think, uh, you know, cause I've heard of people who go out and I guess maybe this one isn't as illegal, but they go out and obviously extract species from the ocean to then put into their tanks because they they want to see this fish there and I'm just like oh you should really be careful because you might move a rock or you might like you know disrupt this ecosystem so I hope that no one out there has thought that they can do that because you can't as Alana's explained it is a very very intricate intricate thing to do and leave it to the professionals like those at Coral Vita (laughs) Yes, definitely
1: consult your fisheries laws before you want to do any sort of (laughs) aquaculture or um, aquarium keeping in the Bahamas, because there are laws in place specifically to protect corals and also to protect certain reef fish uh, species. So be very careful about that. If you do know someone who has a home aquarium, talk to them. Maybe they know who you should talk to or call up the Department of Marine Resources and say, hey, I would love to keep an aquarium. What is the best way I can go about doing that?
0: And we, and we did have a joke about wanting coral as a pet after all this talk. But no, I think corals would be the most difficult pet to have. Oh,
1: gosh. Yes. so
0: cats, but it's coral. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: you actually can adopt a coral. You can adopt a Coral Vita coral if you want to help out or actively help out. You can go onto our website, CoralVita.co, and you can adopt a coral at different tiers. You can adopt a microfragment, which is a small piece of coral that has been strategically cut from a larger colony. Because science has found that when you cut a coral, it triggers a rapid healing response. And in the same way that your body responds to when you accidentally scratch yourself, you know, your body sends blood, oxygen, nutrients to that cut skin, and that skin grows back a whole lot faster than, say, maybe somewhere you haven't scratched. And so those microfragments that have been cut are growing rapidly. Then combined with the science of taking those rapidly growing microfragments, granted that they're all from the same. Parent colony or the original piece. If you place them across a substrate or a surface relatively close to each other, so they're growing, they're growing, they're growing, they'll eventually run into each other, but they're going to recognize themselves and they will fuse and become one coral and act as one organism. And so at Coral Vita, and of course at many other coral restoration um, organizations around the world, microfragmentation is a method to grow corals up to. 50 times faster, where we're taking corals the size of maybe a dime or a quarter and growing the size of a saucer or a plate in a fraction of the time that it would take those corals to grow to that size in the wild.
0: I love that. And I think I'm definitely about to try to make my way down to Grand Bahama because I would like an exclusive tour of Coral Vita, which I know that you guys do. I'm not sure. Is it offered every day? Like, If someone who's actually in Grand Bahama right now wants to come and check you guys out, when can they do that?
1: We give tours on Mondays and Thursdays at 10 a.m. I usually give the tour, but we have two other amazing staff members who give tours. If I'm not giving the tour, I'm either underwater or I don't know, trying to stem the bleeding somewhere at the farm. (laughs) But um, yes, Mondays and Thursdays at 10 a.m. You can book prior online, coralvita.co. You'll see tours, you can click that and you can reserve a spot. But we don't give tours every day. Um, because we are a working coral farm. We just take time out to educate and show people the really cool work that we're doing and help people understand that corals are animals and are in a very big need of our help and our protection.
0: Yeah, and I do think it's also important to note of what MPA connects said, which I think this is Emma Doyle, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they're endangered and they're protected species. Yep. So again, not just rocks and they're not just a random marine mm-hmm. animal that we have out there. They are endangered and they are protected. Okay. So uh, as we start to wrap up this episode, wow, I can't believe it's almost an hour. <laughs> I <laughs> told
1: you, I talk a
0: lot. <laughs> no, but I love it. I love it. Um, I would love to know, and I know you gave a lot of names early in the show. So I know you may have so many people that you think of, but Who is someone in the sector, whether they're local or international, that you would say inspires you and why?
1: Hmm. Okay. Right. It's in the field. Got it. Um, (laughs) Number one for me, just because she's been, whoa, am I emotional? Um, Just such a big part of, I think, who I strive to be like, the standard that I want to keep when I'm educating or when I'm teaching or just showing someone something new is Christina Zanato, hands down. She is such an amazing woman, such an amazing mentor. She's been through a whole lot. She has worked really hard to get to be who she is. She's elbowed her way through all of the big burly men in cave exploration, in um, shark education, in scuba diving, and she is number one to me and in, in my books and we are actually a little bit late to have another sunday get together so christina if you're watching
0: please call me <laughs> <laughs> i know i definitely amazing. yeah i think she is amazing as well and i had the the privilege of being able to work with her and it was, I think it was last year, February, we met in Long Island and we were both on this YouTube birthday feature, but I'd always heard of her and I got to meet her and I feel like we hit it off like a house on fire. And I was like, you have to be on my show. I think you're so amazing. And she also said that the next time I'm in Grand Bahama, if you were there and she is there, that we would get together on a Sunday and do brunch. But I haven't been back in so long, but I hope that the next time I do come, I'll visit Coral Vita and then we will all go and do a nice little brunchy brunch um, and have so much fun. Let me put that in my cabinet. <laughs> but the final thing, um, and I always like to end on this note, if you could just give maybe, if it's a lesson learned or some inspirational quote that you've carried with you throughout your career, um, what would that What would that be that you would want to share with some of the viewers?
1: Um, say yes. But remember, you also have the power to say no. So that. have opportunities are going to come your way. Or maybe you're looking for opportunities. Knock on every single door and don't stop knocking until one opens. When it does open, you say yes. If it is for you, I'm pretty sure you're going to know it's for you. Definitely have someone as a sounding board who you can say, hey, Shanti, hey, Christina, here's the situation. Do you think that matches me? And make sure it's someone who is speaking to you and is there for you in your best interest. So saying yes. And then remember that you also have the power to say no. When something doesn't match who you are, or as we like to say, it's just, it's just not sitting with me, right? Or like, it's just like, it's just not in my spirit, or that or, or my spirit didn't take to it. You also have the power to say no. And when you're tired, and you know, you're tired. And you know that if you say yes, it's, not going to be the person who you want to be or it's not going to be what you want it to be then then say no take time to reel it back to rest take care of yourself pour into your own cup so that when it's time to say yes you're ready to say yes
0: definitely because you never want to say yes and then not be at your optimal self um, and that was so well said, uh, I totally agree. And thank you so much uh, for being on this episode. I'm so happy that I got to have you. I feel like this might not be the last time that we see you on Siren Sundays.
1: <laughs> yeah, we have, we have a whole lot to unpack. We really, really do. We really I do. do. I do too many of
0: the things. So <laughs> I'd love to be back. Definitely. And maybe by then I will be doing in person and I'll fly out to Grand Bahama and we'll go on this beautiful scene oh, in the back. Uh, I will flew it down and down to down
1: to my office space. You can see yes, my it's shark. spiritual hair.
0: advisor <laughs> <laughs> who also left.
1: Yes, my spiritual advisor Zephyr. He left the interview. He had other things to take care of.
0: Definitely, and thank you to all our viewers for tuning in to the show. Uh, thank you for continuing to ride this wave with us on another episode of Siren Sundays. And I will definitely see you all next week. Yay. Bye. Thank you.